When is the last time you said the words, and I quote, I didn't plan on this happening, end quote. Or, you know, this wasn't, if you watched the A-team growing up, if you remember what the, the slogan was, what was it? I love it when a plan comes together. But how many times does the plan not come together? When you watch movies like Mission Impossible, guess what? That would have been impossible. Life doesn't happen that way. It never happens that way. And more often than not, the plan that you have or the plan that you had doesn't materialize like the way that you think it will. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Last week, we had a guest speaker in town, a friend from Tallahassee. And he loves Marlowe's, uh, the Marlowe's Tavern restaurant there in Chastain. If you've never been there, it's quite tasty. And they have these just legendary crab nachos. Sounds gross to you? I understand that. But they are sensational. So we went. It's the Sunday crowd. We braved it. You know, we went for it. We got our, our name in. We got the table. We sit down, you know, after the wait, and we order Crab nachos is his favorite, and he's in town, can't wait to eat some of these. And the server looks at us and says, oh, I'm sorry. We're all out of the crab nachos. Now, if you've ever gone to a restaurant with an excitement in your heart to eat something, only for them to tell you that they are all out, it can ruin your life, okay? <laughs> I exaggerate. But you all know what I'm talking about. The plan was, you preach, I take you out to eat at Marlowe's, you order the crab nachos, your heart is happy. We're all out. What? This is why we're here, Jack. Come on. We got nothing for you. The plan didn't come together. Now, we ended up having a great lunch. And they actually, I don't even, how, I don't even want to know how they made it happen. But they ended up bringing us crab nachos, even after they said they didn't have any. So it was probably somebody else's. Maybe they went down to cookout and got some shrimp. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but it tasted good. Plans don't always come together, and this is lightweight, right? How many of you have plans? You, know, you don't need to raise your hand. And it just, man, the disappointment in your heart. You were trying to go to that school you didn't get accepted. You were trying to get that job, and they said, no, not interested. You were trying to get pregnant, and you just couldn't get pregnant, or you pick your thing. The plan that you had put together hasn't come to pass like you thought it would, and that is really hard for us, is it not? And so this morning, what we're going to do as we look at the Old Testament today is we're going to take a look at what happens when the plan doesn't work. Because for some of you, sometimes myself, I put in this situation, I find myself disappointed or I find myself frustrated and then I find myself stuck. Because, man, I was sure banking on this thing working out. 
perspective. So what do you do? We're about to find out. Father, be with us. God, as we pray this morning, Lord, as we look at the Old Testament, as we read from uh, 1 Kings this morning, I'm praying, God, that you would illuminate the Scriptures today. Lord, that you bring this story to life for us, that it wouldn't just be a story of yesterday. God, our story of the old, but God, it would be something for us fresh today, Lord. Help us. Amen. The series we're in is we're looking at Old Testament stories. The vast majority of people don't read from the Old Testament. Of those of you that you do read from the book, from the Bible, the vast majority of you don't read from the Old Testament, you read from the New. And so these old stories oftentimes just collect dust in the Old Testament, and we, we fail to realize the significance of what's happening. And because of that, oftentimes we fail to see the beauty of how Jesus fulfills many of the things we see in the scriptures of old. Turn to 1 Kings 19, 1 through 5. We live in an interesting time. Never before in human history are we actually more similar to the times of the prophets in the Old Testament. And here's what I mean by it. What we're going to read is, is on the tail end of an account where this prophet Elijah is speaking and bringing clarity to the nation of Israel as to which God is the true God. But in the modern era, right? We're not in the modern era anymore. We're in the post-modern era. But in the modern era, the question that people asked was, can I believe in God? That was the most predominant question asked. But in the postmodern era, an era where we are globally connected, where you can be in conversation with someone on the other side of the planet, where you have access to their culture, where you have access to their life, and vice versa. The postmodern era, we ask a very different question. It's not, can I believe in God? The question is, which God do I believe in? Of the world, 90% of people believe in God. That is staggering. Nine out of ten. And yet there's more conversation nowadays over whether it's Islam, over whether it's Buddhism, over whether it's Hinduism, over whether it's Mormon theology, over whether it's blah, 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 blah. It's not, is there a God? It's, well, which one should I believe in? And this is the conversation that we find Israel having as they're, as they're presented with different gods in different cultures. And the one we find Elijah up against in this moment is a god called Baal. And if you're familiar with the story, uh, sometimes when you read the Bible, you don't always see people that you can identify with, right? You know, you, you read it and you think, wow, what an amazing story, but that does not necessarily, you know, speak to the conditions of my life. Elijah is your man, okay? Elijah is being challenged as to which God is the, the real God. So what does my man do? I mean, in classic, just 2017, rise to the challenge fashion, he rolls up to Mount Carmel. That would be the equivalent of me going to the new baseball stadium and saying, let's do this. 
It's showdown time. You know, this is, this, is the, this is a significant moment. This is stadium seating right here. And he gets together and the prophets get together and it's the epic showdown in Scripture as to which God is the real God. And the, the prophets of Baal start praying and they're crying and they're weeping and they're even cutting themselves to try to get his attention. And again, in classic trash Talk fashion. Elisha rolls up and says, well, where's your God at? Huh. Is he sleeping? Is he in the bathroom? Is he not hearing you? And he is just popping shots. And then he says, it's, it's my turn. And they douse his altar with water. They, they do everything to make it the, the conditions nearly impossible for the, the sacrifice to be consumed by God. And Elijah begins to pray. And he says, God, my paraphrase, we know you're real. Show yourself. And a pillar of fire shoots down from heaven, burns up this soaking wet sacrifice and all the people know without a shadow of a doubt that their God is pathetic and this God is the real deal. It is action movie on steroids to the max. You like the movie Braveheart? You like Gladiator? Elijah is your dude, okay? I, this is one of those stories I would be shelling out serious cash to be on the sidelines of, I mean, just popcorn, this one. This is epic moment in Old Testament scripture, okay? So that's the context that we find ourselves. God has shown himself strong. Elijah has executed the plan perfectly. Now, what you may not know is that Elijah's a marked man. He's been in hiding. Ahab and Jezebel, the king and the queen, worshipers of Baal, they've wanted Elijah dead. He's a marked guy. But in this moment, Elijah shows his true colors. He shows off who God is. And he decides, he believes that, 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 the, that the times are a-changing. Surely now, the faith of my nation, the faith of Israel, will come back to being faith in the Lord. Surely now. And so rather than going back into hiding, Elijah tucks his robe into his pants or whatever it is that he was wearing at the time, and he begins to run, the Bible says. And he outpaces. King Ahab had just seen this moment with fire. And Ahab is going back to his city. He's going back to, in fact, the city of Jezreel, which is the capital city. Now, if you're a marked man, guess where you don't want to go? You're not going to march into the capital city. You're going to die. But Elijah had just pulled off the moment of all moments. If there was ever a time that God was on his side, if there was ever a time where the plan was clear, it's now. And so he rolls into 
Jezreel. And while we don't see it painted in the scriptures, we're about to read it in a moment, what we see is a man who had very high expectations, whose expectations get immediately dashed. First Kings 19, 1 through 5. Elijah, mind you, is expecting things to be different. He's sure of it. Surely now it will be different. He says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had just done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Elijah just rolled into the capital. He's got his swag on. It's time. Listen, I just showed up. God is boss. And Jezebel says, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. She's pronounced a death sentence on him, and he's got 24 hours. Now, this is not what my man Elijah is planning. The plan isn't working like he had expected. He thought surely either Ahab and Jezebel would have come to their senses and laid prostrate before the Lord, or surely the people of Israel would be so moved by God that they would not let this happen, and neither of those things take place. And so what does Elijah do? He runs for his life. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. Elijah is running because he is afraid. Some of you know what it's like to have the plan crumble and to be in great despair. It's not working out like you thought it was going to. I'm heading into uncharted territory here. Things don't seem to be very favorable towards me. And God, of all things, I've been your guy. I've been doing things right. I executed the plan just like you told me to. And how am I in this situation? God, just kill me. Take my life. I want you to hear this because despair is a real thing. Pastor that spoke last week, Adrian, spoke about the, the spoke about the despair of struggling with depression as a pastor. One of the things that we oftentimes do and can do is we can dismiss the reality that somebody is in when they feel like the plan that they have executed 
is not working. When you felt afraid and you felt alone and you have felt disappointed and specifically those things directed at God, you're in a, in a tough spot. I have been there. I've been there plenty of times. I've been there more times than I'd like to admit where I was so sure things were supposed to go this way and it was going to produce this. And all of a sudden, I'm standing over here and it feels like, God, just take me now. And my suffering. And so we see Elijah, sarcasm aside, he's really struggling here. I mean, my man fires his staff. You don't just let your servant go. Do you see the discouragement? Here is a man who's been after God's heart. Here's a man who's been God's prophet, God's mouthpiece. Here's a man who's given his very best. He's done everything that he knows to do. And he's done it well. And yet nothing seems to have changed. And so what does he do? He runs. He just begins to run. And he's discouraged. And he's in despair. And he looks at his servant. He looks at his staff. And he just says, hey, you may want to go find something else to do. And he continues to run. And he leaves him behind. And he's just all out of options here. And there are times in your life where that is exactly how it feels. Where God, I just don't, I don't know what to do. And you're in despair. And so God, he does something amazing here. 1 Kings 19, 5 through 9. All at once, an angel of the Lord. You know, Elijah's fallen asleep. It says that an angel touches him and says, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some, break, was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. God didn't let Elijah down. Elijah's plan let Elijah down. I want you to hear this because I love how God moves in Elijah's life here because it's it reminds us that we serve a God who knows the intimate details of your life. Elijah is discouraged beyond discouraged. He's quit. He's done. He's given up. He's let go of his servant, and he's ready to die. He lays down under a bush. And what does God send him but an angel? And what does that angel do? He preaches to him. Nope. He shares an Old Testament Bible verse with him. Nope. He prays for him. Nope. He doesn't do anything that you would think an angel would do. What does he do? He takes out a frying pan and he makes him a meal. He touches Elijah. 
and he gives him food to eat. And sometimes we as Christians have a tremendous capacity to over-spiritualize everything, do we not? And somehow God has to move in this particular way. And I'm telling you right now, in, in, in Elijah's greatest moment of despair, what God brings to him before he brings courage and before he brings the power of the Spirit is he brings him a meal. And he brings him a friend who touches him and is there for him. Sometimes what you need, church, before we get all spiritual, is sometimes you need to just take a deep breath. Sometimes you need to go out to eat and you need to have a, a, a good meal. Sometimes you just need to take a deep breath and go out with a friend and just have a friend be with you. And God knows that these are our needs. He doesn't over-spiritualize this moment. Elijah, you're at the worst point of your life. Here's what you need right now. Some really good food and a really good friend. So here you go. What does the angel say to him? And just... It gets me right here. It says, man, that journey's long, isn't it? Hang on, brother. Let me make you some food. Journey's tough. But God's not done with you. Why don't you eat up? Why don't you take some, why don't you have a rest? Get some sleep. Because you still got a long road ahead of you. <laughs> My dad said something similar to me one time. Actually, multiple times. I remember there were times in ministry, especially my early days, where I was discouraged. And I was at home in St. Louis one time, and I remember my dad just looked at me. This is classic Rick King right here, my dad. He said, son, shut your Bible for a minute. <laughs> he said, sometimes what you need to go do is just go buy yourself a new shirt. So go on and get out of here. Go, here's 20 bucks. Go get yourself a new shirt. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, sometimes what you need is just go get a shower. Get a fresh day. Lay down and rest. Get a good meal in under your belt. And tackle the day afresh tomorrow. Go get a new shirt and, and feel good about yourself. That sounds so selfish, doesn't it? And yet that's what we see God doing with Elijah. There's no Old Testament scriptures being, being dealt to him. The angel's not counseling him. The angel isn't laying hands on him to pray for him. He's making him food. He's putting a hand on his shoulder, and he's helping him get some good rest. I love that that's the kind of God that we serve. He is a God that understands that we do, in fact, have physical needs. And yet he also knows that deeper than that are the needs of our soul. Sometimes what you need is money. I want you to hear that. It's okay to pray that. It's okay to trust God for that. And sometimes that's exactly how God moves and brings things to you. He brings you the very thing that you need. But oftentimes we over-spiritualize it, don't we? Well, that can't be God. Well, yes, it can exactly how God moves in the life of Elijah. But God's not done with Elijah. Elijah gets up and begins to make his way to Mount Horeb. 
If you know anything about Mount Horeb, it's a very famous place in the Bible. It's where Moses met God at the burning bush. It's where Moses received Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are a part of the same chain of mountains right here. So when Elijah makes his way to Mount Horeb, you know what he's looking for? He's looking for a God moment. He needs God to show up, and he needs God to show up big. And what better place to go than the very place where God showed up to Moses in the place of a fiery, burning bush? And what better place to go than to show, to find myself in the cave and to be walking around in the very place where God showed up to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments? He's looking for God. He's looking for God because he is at the lowest place that he has ever found himself in. And he needs to know who God is. And there are real moments for you, church, especially if you grew up going to church and you grew up around this. Oftentimes there comes one of those defining moments where you have to ask yourself this question. Do I really know this God? And there are moments in your life that will bring that to a painful reality. That oftentimes the God that we know is the God that we have learned through tradition, but not the God that we actually know through relationship. And so Elijah is looking for a moment with God. When Amy and I moved here, I had been on staff at churches and been planting churches and been in campus ministry and started campus ministries. I'd been doing this for a long time, but I'd never planted by myself a church like we have here. I debated on whether I should share this story, but I'm just in the spirit of being real this morning. I'm just going to share this with you. Because this is life. These are the things that you're dealing with. I'm not exempt because I'm a pastor. I didn't anticipate how hard planning a church was going to be. Having been a part of churches and even helped starting one, I didn't know what it actually felt like to be the lead church planter. And it was slow going. Some of you were here for the very first meeting in our house, and I'm pretty sure it, the total population of people in our home for our first meeting was like six. We could all fit on my couch. And it slowly grew and, you know, things of that nature, but understand that very few of the things that I had planned on paper came to pass like I thought they would. And that was really hard. And the weight of that, I want you to hear this. There's no way for me to share this with you and to make you know this. The only way you can know what I'm feeling is to have your own moment. But the weight of trying to get this church off the ground was just about crushing. And I felt alone. I felt like a failure. I felt like I didn't know what I was doing, which that was true. Nobody ever does. You think you do, and then you don't. And then you ask yourself, God, 
I sure thought I knew you, and I feel like every day I wake up and I realize I know you a lot less than I thought I did. I don't say that in a bad way. That is just the reality of stepping out in faith and trusting God. If you're not careful, you'll put more faith and trust in your plan than you will put faith and trust in God. And you need to hear this. I, I, I mean, this was a couple weeks before Easter, about two, I mean, Christmas. Two weeks ago, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me clarify this. If you're listening online, I just gave you like four dates. About two years ago, right before Christmas. Thank you. I'm here all day, guys. You know, I, I went to the movie theater with a friend, and it was the first time I'd been in like a room that was dark in a long time. And I could feel myself beginning to have what felt like a nervous breakdown. I didn't like that. And I could feel myself having to, you know, I've got like a bag of popcorn, and I'm like, you know, like an airplane bag, you know? And they don't even, the person next to me doesn't even know. They probably thought I was literally just eating popcorn out of the bag. And I'm like, I, I feel like I'm getting ready to pass out here. And everything was fine. I didn't even know what was happening. Movie was awesome. Left. And like a couple days later, I come down, and I'm just around the kitchen of my house, around the island, and Amy just looks at me, my wife, and she says, Honey, are you okay? I said, Yeah, I'm fine. Meanwhile, as I say it, I have tears that are streaming down my eyes, and I don't even know what is happening. I have zero control over my emotions. And I'm, I'm looking. I feel the tears coming down. I'm looking at her with confusion. I have the lip quiver, and I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> and she just says, I don't think you are. I said, I don't think I am either. Because the weight of it, the weight of people coming to faith, the weight of service teams, the weight of the community, the weight of people's kids, the weight of what people need to know, the weight of the mission, the weight of missionaries, the weight of needing money, the weight of needing salaries, the weight of wanting my kids to love Jesus and not to despise the church, the weight of Everything felt like a thousand pounds. And none of it was going according to what I had planned. God, where the heck are you? I thought our church was going to be like 350. I thought we were going to be killing it. I thought this, I thought that. I thought we were going to be starting another church by this time, and I thought this would be happening, and none of those things have happened the way I had originally planned. And I felt myself coming unhinged. And the reason that that was the case is because I was trusting in my plan more than I was trusting in my God. And it's really easy to do. And I want you to know that God did not let me down. My plan did. Because my plan 
never has the capacity to bring life and to minister to my soul. 1 Kings 19 says this. It says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. He's, in, he's at Mount Horeb now. And of all things, God says, What are you doing here, Elijah? And you can hear the pain in Elijah's heart as he speaks to God. And he says, I've been, I have been very zealous for you, God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. He's given Elijah what he needs, isn't he? Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah repeats what he has done for God, the plan that he had executed so perfectly. And God says, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, and he tells him several other things. And I want you to hear what happens in this moment. For time's sake, I'm going to chop off the very end of that passage, and I'm going to talk to you about the earthquake, the wind, and the fire, because this is what we do, and this is what we get wrong. Elijah went to Mount Horeb because he wanted a moment like Moses had. He wanted a massive moment. And how is it that God spoke to Moses? He spoke to him in fire. And when he gave him the Ten Commandments, if you remember what happened, the earth began to shake and there was a great earthquake and the winds came and the pillar, the cloud of smoke is how God would minister to the, to the people of Israel. And that's how he showed them that he wasn't this golden calf to be worshipped, but that he was a real and true and living God. There was no question who was the God of power and the God who has the ability to change them. It was this God. And that is what Elijah wanted more than anything else was for God to show him the earthquake wind, the fire. And so he stands out and that's exactly what God brings but the voice of the Lord wasn't in any of it. He wanted what Moses had and God said, let me tell you something. And the earthquake came and the wind came and the fire came God wasn't in any of it. Where was he? He's in a whisper. Here I am. 
very thing that Elijah needed more than anything else was the whisper. The big moments, the power moments, the power encounter, that wasn't what Elijah needed to know that God was real. What he needed was a God, a father, who had the ability and the willingness and desire to whisper to his heart. He says, go back. He tells him to anoint a Gentile king to begin preparing for his predecessor. And Elijah does more extraordinary things and he's humbled and he has a powerful moment with God. And today, as we're looking at our own lives and we're reading from the Old Testament and we see that our plan isn't working and what you desperately want and what you desperately need are the earthquake moments and the fire moments and the wind moments, I want you to hear. And what God is after is whispering to your heart and helping you trust Him. Helping you trust Him more than you trust what's in his hand. Helping you trust him more than you trust your plan. Helping you trust the God of the plan versus the plan itself. For some of you, that's exactly where you are. And this morning, we're just going to take a moment. for you to just practically have a moment where you put your faith afresh in God Almighty. And it doesn't have to be fire, wind, and an earthquake. It can be a whisper in a moment just like this. This is what you need. Father, be with us right now as we pray. we thank you that you move you move in powerful ways and yet God we see you moving so prevalently God in the things of whispers God in the small in the details in the little things in the little reminders God reminding us who you are God what kind of character you have what kind of God you are that you are the kind of God that we can truly and fully trust and God we all have things in our life that have created disappointments that have created despair that have created loneliness and God what we need more than anything else is to renew our trust in you and to put our faith in you God Right now, by the grace of Jesus, I thank you for helping us Lord, to trust you, to trust you again, to find comfort in you, affirmation in you, wisdom from you.
Lord, there's none like you, God. There's none like you. And we put our faith in you today. Amen. As we close, I want to remind, I want to tell you what I did in my moment of despair. If you've ever seen the show This Is Us, I was Randall, you know, with the, uh, I was losing control of everything. And that's exactly what happened. I lost control because I should never have been the one in control in the first place. And I went upstairs to my room and I turned off the lights, turned on some worship music, I got on my knees and I just began to pray. And I just began to cry. And I began to put my trust afresh in God. To hear the gentle whisper of a father. I've been looking for the earthquake. I've been looking for the fire and I wanted that wind. But what I needed was the voice of God. The whisper. It's amazing what happened. I'm just beginning to feel life fresh again, the work in my life. I was able to lay down and rest, to close my eyes and not have 19,000 things circling in my brain. I stopped waking up at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. going to work because that's what I was doing because <laughs> I lost my mind. What I needed was more of God's presence. And I want to encourage you. Some of you are in despair with your marriage. You're in despair over your job. You're in despair over finances. You're in despair over pregnancies and children and parenting. And what you need more than anything else, first and foremost, is the gentle whisper of God. Go to him. Pray. Seek him.